Good morning, church. Um, what a privilege it is to be delivering the word to you this morning. I'd like to give Jamie um, just a word of thank you for allowing me to stand in front of you today. And uh, welcome to the church. If you're here for the first time, a very warm welcome. It is wonderful to have you. Uh, hopefully you won't run off. You'll stay and grab some coffee and get to meet someone new. Um, so I'm just going to jump into it. Um, I don't have an intro and I don't have a joke. Um, my, <laughs> and my apologies for that. <laughs> so question, when did Jesus pray? We see that Mark is using very, oh, just another, just like, um, thing to get through. Um, I have a bit of flu, so my, my, my right ear is blocked, and so sometimes I can't hear myself. So, yeah, when did Jesus pray? So, we see that Mark is using very select words um, to emphasize um, that Jesus actually prayed. And to answer that, we look at verses um, 35, and it reads as follows. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. So quite simply, the verse tells us that Jesus played, uh, prayed in the morning, early in the morning, while it was still dark. Now, if you look at this passage over and over, which I've had the privilege to do, Mark is driving home something. He uses very descriptive words to tell us when Jesus prayed. He doesn't just say early, but he says very early. When? While it was still dark. Now, the, the phrase very early speaks of before dawn. Now, why is, is Mark emphasizing this? Well, Mark is driving home the point that um, prayer is a priority for Jesus. Now, why do I say that? Well, if you look at the text, it says Jesus prayed. Well, it doesn't say that, but we can infer that Jesus prayed when he was, when he was tired. Now, contextually, he spent the whole day, which is the Sabbath, teaching God's word and doing it with authority, as Jamie had um, preached to us last week. He's also been casting out demons and healing people. He heals um, uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And soon word spreads throughout the town, and people are gathering. Now imagine it's six o'clock, and Jesus is doing all of this throughout the night. He's still healing people and casting out demons. As you can imagine, this is all very exhausting. Now, Jesus goes to bed late, but he gets up very early the next morning to go and pray because it is a priority. Now, when we are tired, do we pray? Jesus prayed when he was triumphant. And I'll elaborate on this point a, little, a bit later on because it's, it's a major point. Now, Jesus had experienced many victories the night before, but he does not find consolation in all of these victories. Instead, he prays. Now, Jesus prayed when he was tired, and he prayed in the hour of temptation. He made it his main priority. Jesus prayed in the morning because he wanted to avoid all the traffic that would come in the day. He wanted to avoid all the troubles of the day, and so he got up early. He knows that there will be people who need him, and he's going to meet with his disciples to teach them. Now, he prayed because he wanted to start the day with God, not with man. Brothers and sisters, I'd like to encourage us. We ought to start our day with God in the morning and not with man. Now, if you are married here, I'm quite certain that you wake up to the smell of coffee and eggs cooking on the stove. And if you have children, they are singing in perfect harmony. No, I kid. But generally, sometimes we just naturally wake up. That's the easy part. 
However, we do need to learn to bring ourselves to God before we, we meet with man. Now, where did Jesus pray? It says in a desolate place. Some translations use the word wilderness. Now, the occurring idea of the wilderness is quite prevalent here in Mark 1. So we see it in verse 3, in verse 4, in verse 12, in verse 13, and in verse 45. Now, in these verses, Mark is trying to help us understand something. But what is that? So one of the things which Mark is trying to help us understand here is that Jesus is the perfect Israel. He is the fulfillment of a type of Israel. He is an anti-type of Israel. God called Israel in Exodus 4, from verse 22 to 33, he calls him his son. And God says to Moses, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. He gave, to, he gave his law to Israel as his son, but Israel did not keep the law. They failed time and time again. And now the true Israel has come and he will keep God's law and he will do it perfectly. So now what is true about Israel is that God brings them out of the wilderness. He brings them out of Exodus and, and he takes them into the wilderness. Now what was the point of, of the wilderness? The point was them to know God, to repent, which basically means to turn away from, from um, any way which is not um, of God. Um, to turn around basically. You were going in one direction and then you make a U-turn and you head the other direction. It was a place for them to have God's revelation. It was a place for them to fellowship and to commune with God. Now Jesus Christ goes into the wilderness to be tempted and once again, he goes there and he prays. He prays because he needs to relate to his father. He needs to have fellowship with him. Now this wilderness is reflecting Israel's journey after the Exodus and the wilderness was clearly a place of repentance, a place of restoration and a place of fellowship with God. Now at the back of that, the word of God is so essential to us as Christians. We cannot have proper fellowship with God if we're not in his word. But also, apart from that, we cannot pray if we're not in God's word. We will not have deep and meaningful fellowship with God. Jesus goes into the wilderness so that he can experience fellowship with God. And as you can imagine, he is there for 40 days and 40 nights and he's walking with God. He is praying and having fellowship with God. He comes out of the wilderness of temptation and he prays and he lives a perfect life as a result. We'll see him again later on in Mark 6. Um, he uses the same phrase, he is in a desolate place um, or the wilderness. And what is he doing? You guessed it, he's praying. He comes out in Mark 6 and he lives a perfect life until Mark 14 where he faces another wilderness. And this wilderness is called Gethsemane, a garden, and there he prays as well. He continues to live a perfect and, sinful and sinless life and goes to the cross. And what do we get out of that? We have a savior. In Mark, we have this wonderful pattern of, of, of Jesus going into a desolate place or the wilderness. He goes there and he has time with God and he comes out strengthened and he lives a perfect life. He goes into the wilderness and he prays again. It is because Jesus was praying in the wilderness that he actually never went into exile as Israel did. I find it quite interesting that when you read the accounts um, of prayer in the Old Testament, Israel is not well known for being a praying nation. They're not praying in the wilderness. 
what you see them doing is neglecting their opportunity for fellowship with God, so much so that they end up in exile. Now, as I've been reading and preparing, and even from recollection, I've noticed that you have Israel in, the, in, the, in, in exile, and only then do they begin to pray. We also see a common theme in Babylon where they learn to commune with their maker. Um, it was last year, um, I believe, where we did a, a series on Ezra and Nehemiah. And just looking at the ninth, the ninth chapter of both Ezra and Nehemiah, we see them praying. They are crying out to God. It is never too late to pray, but we ought to pray earlier than we are to pray later. If they would have prayed in the wilderness and sought after the face of God, they would have been strengthened to obey God and perhaps Babylon would not have happened. Dear Harbor City, as a church, let us pray now rather than later. We don't wanna find ourselves in exile crying out to God. Praying in the wilderness may keep us from going into exile. Now, this might come across as a trick question. Why did Jesus pray? Let's have a look at verse 36 to 38 again. It reads as follows. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I, I may preach there also. For that is why I have come out. So in verse three, we find out why Jesus is praying. I think it's really fascinating how verse 30, 36 talks about how they search for him. Because the gospel of Matthew puts it like this. I'm sure everyone is familiar with this verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.29 adds, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and all your soul. Don't these two verses demonstrate how the disciples sought after God? No, they don't. When you think about the word search, or at least when I think about it, I think of someone being frantic. Maybe even on, like, it hinges on, like, being hostile, you know. And here's the picture that Marx wants us to grasp. That Jesus, very early in the morning, sneaks out. He goes into the wilderness and he's praying. And here's Simon, who's the most impetuous, frantically looking for Jesus. I can imagine him going, Peter, have you seen Jesus? Where is James? Where is John? Doesn't he, Jesus, know that all of these people are here for him? As a result, he goes on a, on a witch hunt and he's doing it with a bit of impatience. It's quite clear how, it's not quite clear if they did find Jesus or actually how they found Jesus, they did find him. I can almost hear him saying, everyone is looking for you. What is the matter with you? Jesus was facing the challenge of popularity. Now all the town came to him because he's healed people. He's ca cast out di um, demons, not diamonds. <laughs> and the word has spread, you know. It's the next morning and all of a sudden everyone is there and they want his help. The disciples are suddenly embarrassed, exclaiming, Jesus, you can do this. Don't make a fool out of us now. You have called us and you, you told us to fish for men. Well, here they are, a whole school of them. Where are you? It's quite clear that in this test, Jesus leaves in the morning to be with God, and he does it well. In that morning, the disciples look for Jesus, but not for his sake. They are looking for Jesus for what he can do. In the, lang in the language of James, they are asking with wrong motives. Now, who is Jesus to you? 
Is he someone who just helps you out of a bad situation? Does he just alleviate your pain? Or does he just rescue you from a situation, a bad situation? The disciples did not get it at this point. They did not understand that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is King. They searched for him because people needed help. Jesus knew that people were looking for him and it was for this reason that he was actually praying. It's amazing how Jesus' ministry is fruitful. People are being healed, demons are being cast out, and yet the scribes who have taught the scriptures and who have um, helped in transcribing it are also astounded by the level in which God's word is hitting, the way that it is landing, the way that it is convicting people and bringing repentance. Jesus understood that in times of success, we need to pray more, more than any other time actually, because Jesus did everything depending on his Father. It is of great importance to pray during success or when we experience abundance. Take a look in the room, it's quite full today, but I thought it would be quite empty. <laughs> and so at this point, <laughs> I hope it works. <laughs> But when, when we look around, we still see a few empty chairs and we'd love to see people come to know God. And so what do we do? We pray, we pray for a harvest. But the danger is that once people come to know the Lord, we take credit for that. We think it's because of our strategies and how well we've presented the gospel. When things are going well, we need to pray. Why should a Christian do, what should a Christian do in these instances? when your career is taking off or when you've landed the dream job, when a learner gets seven distinctions or gets into the university of their choice, or when one graduates with summa cum laude, or when she says yes and the Lobola negotiations go well, one should indeed respond by praying. In praying, we're saying, from you, God, are all things, and to you are all things, and you deserve the glory. With Jesus, it didn't go to his head, it went to his knees. So Mark 10, 45 puts it this way, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now healing was part of Jesus' ministry, we can't run away from that. He set people free from uh, demonic oppression. And if you look at that, it would inevitably bring great success. Jesus would become popular. But Jesus knows very well to seek the face of the Father during this time and not to absorb the fruitfulness of his ministry. Because it's, the midst, it's in the midst of things going well that we fall into the trap of having our perspective skewed. We become self-sufficient, we become arrogant, we forget the grace of God. Jesus prayed because he wanted to keep perspective. Secondly, Jesus prayed because he needed the power of God. In Mark 5.30, we have this account. So Jesus is going, to, um, is going to raise Jairus' daughter who was sick, but later on dies. On that same journey, there was a woman who was hemorrhaging with blood for years. She reaches out and touches his robe. And the scripture says that power had gone out of him. He sensed ability go out of, uh, he sensed ability go out of him. And that is very telling for this passage because we get to see that Jesus Christ was a human being. Jesus became exhausted. He faced the same exhaustion which we face today, whether it might be physically, mentally, or emotionally. 
Now, when Jesus healed people, it was exhausting and draining to him. I feel like when I'm working on a sermon, it feels a little bit exhausting. But I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a novice. And actually, I think it's a great point um, to thank Jamie, who's been preaching to us uh, week and week um, again. So I thought we'd um, clap for him. <laughs> thank you, Jamie, for putting in all those hours. I'm sure you were tired. <laughs> well, Jesus was tired because he needed the power of God. You know, and I was just thinking about this during the week, how parents are the unsung, unsung heroes in our midst, especially moms, but let's just keep it to parents. <clears throat> so they need the power of God to influence their kids, you know. Parenting looks like an exhausting thing. On top of that, they carry the burden for the salvation of their children, which is a pretty big deal. It's fair to say, parents, we should be praying. And to, rest, to the rest of us in the church, we should be standing in the gap and praying on behalf of other people and, and the parents in the church and their children. As, as young people, we need perseverance. We need to pray for purity, for joy, and for purpose. We need to pray that God blesses us with many opportunities. But we need to realize how we need his power to continue and to carry on. The road is long with many winding turns. And without Christ, we are bound to fail. To believers in the marketplace, you need the power of God to be refreshed every day as you face the pressure of um, the job market. And if we are going to become the next CEOs, board members, elders, um, and whatever else um, in society, we need to be a people of prayer. I'd like to make a, a plea um, to everyone here that we need to be praying. So as a church, we normally pray um, on the second week of every month. Um, so we'll, we'll hit you up with some more information around that. But it would be wonderful if you guys could join us and if we could pray together. Now, to young people again, um, so many things are permissible, but not all things are helpful. We need to live meaningfully for the glory of God. Can we choose today to come away with God and to be set apart and to really to be sold out for, for Jesus, to know him in our, in our youth and to, to run, to run with endurance. Can we come under the authority of Jesus and submit to him as the king he is? He is not our personal assistant. Now, Harbor City has been around for 10 years, which is a decade, and that's a pretty big deal. Now, 10 years is a very big milestone, especially for a church plant. But we'd love to be around for like generations and generations. And for this reason, we need to be praying. We need to become a people of prayer. Jesus prayed for power and Jesus prayed for perspective. You think about Jesus and all the success he's witnessed and had, and you think it's because maybe he was exhausted, but actually it's because he needed to minister effectively. He was facing another huge temptation, popularity. People are praising him he needed to gain the perspective of his father and that he didn't come to be celebrated, but actually to be crucified. He needed the perspective that God would give him. He could have easily lost this. And as a result, he could have become self-sufficient and avoided the cross. Now, the popularity of a claim from people 
was the reason why Jesus prayed. Jesus, Jesus needed to face the cross. So the healing and the miracles which we see Jesus do was not his main purpose. That's not why he was um, appointed for, but actually the murder, being nailed to that cross and being risen back to life. Now God's idea of popularity for Jesus was dying on the cross. It was not healing people, essentially. Jesus' popularity would come from Golgotha, which is a hill, another form of wilderness where he'd be crucified and raised back to life. Uh, Paul writes it like this in Philippians 2. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But that's not all. It continues to say, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to pray to God because we need his purpose before us. I often fall victim to this. We think we're here to build careers and to maximize on comfort or to be in the best, like the most secure neighborhood. But in actual fact, we're here for God's sake, just as Jesus was. We are here to take up our cross and to follow him. Now Jesus prayed because he needed power, as I've mentioned. But he prayed because he needed to keep that perspective. And the proof of that is in verse 38. And it reads as follows. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. I bet they were shocked by this response. They had a huge crowd with them. And Jesus is on a different vibe. He has prayed and knows the way God wants him to move forward. As the verse tells us, Jesus knows that God wants him to move into the next town and to preach there. He has a priority and his priority was proclamation it was preaching. It wasn't primarily healing or casting out demons. It was proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, if we look at the book of Acts, um, which documents the, the first church, what we see is that um, the disciples were committed to the teaching of the word and prayer, these two pillars which stand one next to the other. What we see there is that there's a bit of a squabble. The Hellenistic Jews, which were the Jews which, who kind of like adapted to Greek civilization, um, they were having a bit of tension with the native Jews about the uneven distribution of food. They felt cheated. The disciples um, deal with this by appointing a council of people, and they do this prayerfully. This is because they understood that their main priority is not to serve food, but actually it is prayer and proclaiming the message of the gospel. As a church and as people, we're faced with the temptation of wanting to fix all the social structures and everything that is broken in the world. As noble and as good as that may seem, what good is it if everyone is driving a Bentley on the road? They have great medical health care and free education, but actually they are dead and separated from God for all of eternity. Ladies and gentlemen, we were made by God for God. But that's not to do away with the responsibility. If you look at the disciples, what they did is that before they appointed people, um, the, the council, they prayed and they handled that injustice. The priority of the church is proclamation. But we will not get to that 
unless we're in God's word and we're praying. Now, I'm sure every one of us here knows someone who prays fervently. They wake up at 12 and at 3 and like they're just a prayer warrior. But yet, they're not in God's word. There's a danger with that because we want to pray the kingdom of God on earth. We want to pray that God's reality would break through into our lives. We don't want to just be caught up in this and this and that. Everything is temporal, but God's word is eternal. And we want to be um, sure to be praying um, effectively. And another thing, it tends to lead to spiritual error when you pray without being in God's word. Then we are of no good, we are of no um, value. It's like we've lost our saltiness. We can't impact society. The order is we in God's word and we pray and then we proclaim and then we can take care of every other thing that needs to be taken care of. And so we preach the gospel. Now what happened when Jesus prayed? Verse 39 says, so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. It seems to me that it's a repeat of what's happened in Capernaum. Quite simply, when Jesus prayed, others were blessed. It's so simple, but yet it's very profound and so important. When Jesus prayed, the blessing of God went to others who needed it. When we pray, that is what happens. We extend that blessing to other people. Jesus went from his knees to his feet, and he preached in synagogues throughout Galilee. And many were blessed and empowered, and Jesus kept on moving from town to town. Dear brothers and sisters, when we pray, the gospel moves and progresses to those who need it the most. Now in the near future, we'll see in Mark 6, Jesus will be with his disciples, and he will look at those who are in Judea, and he refers to them as sheep without a shepherd. He will see his sheep, which is Israel, God's people, who have been harassed because his leaders have not been in the wilderness. They have not been in fellowship with God. They lacked the power of God. They didn't have the perspective of God, and they were abusing God's people. Jesus, with a great burden, responds compassionately towards them by teaching them many things. Matthew 9 puts it like this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And the Lord of the harvest, they ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send up workers into his harvest field. We pray as a church because we don't want to selfishly hold those blessings to ourselves. We want those around us to know God. We want people in war-torn Congo and unreached people groups to know God. We say, God, you have blessed us here, but we want you to extend that work to other people because we believe that God is omniscient, which basically means God knows everything, and that he's omnipresent, which means he's in all places at all times. When we pray, the gospel progresses to others who need it the most. And when Jesus prayed, he continued to get closer to the cross. He went to Capernaum, the other cities in Galilee, and he gets closer and closer to the cross. Ultimately, he goes to Gethsemane, where he will experience temptation from the evil one. Now, if you've seen the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, there's a really powerful scene there. In Gethsemane, there's a serpent that is slithering around in the garden. 
it's a very powerful picture because when Jesus is in Gethsemane, there's a temptation to turn away from the cross. But what does he do? He prays there. He prays, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He goes to the cross there and he dies there for my sins and your sins. He experiences the wrath of God, which we all deserved, which was due to us. He rises from the dead in the garden and he ascends to the heaven and he's seated with the Father today. Do you know what he's doing? He's praying for us today. So let us pray to him today. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you stepped into time and became a man. You became the God-man to show us the way to God. We thank you that you lived a perfect and sinless life, that you humbled yourself to the point of death. We thank you that you are so set on doing the Father's will that at every corner you were obedient, obedient to, to a point of death, O oh Lord. We thank you that it is this obedience that has set us free, that has closed the gap, that has allowed us to not taste your wrath, but to come into eternal life. We thank you that this life is found in you and that it has been freely given to us, to those who believe. And I just pray, Lord God, that today, if anyone is far from you, Lord, that you would make yourself known to them. We pray for those of us who are busy, that you would silence the noise, that you would help us to set everything aside and to prioritize praying, oh Lord, Lord God, praying um, faithfully in, in, in your word, oh, oh Lord. We pray that you'd make us a people who are set on mission, oh Lord God, of bringing restoration, of bringing salvation, of making your kingdom known, oh Lord. Pray for the young people in the church, Lord, that you'd help us to live, to live submitted to you, Lord, as you are our master. We thank you, O oh Lord, that today we get together from all walks of life because you defeated sin and you were raised to life. We thank you, O oh Lord. You are worthy to be praised. We give you glory and honor this morning. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.